Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B-Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the special needs podcast. Each week we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve your knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, our guest is Lorraine Peterson, OBE, who has over 25 years experience as a teacher and head teacher. She was previously CEO of the National Association of Special Educational Needs, or NASEN, and Lorraine has received an OBE for her services to education. Lorraine will be talking about how schools can support pupils with anxiety and trauma. Before we start the podcast, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we've been running now for two years that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. We run the conference twice a year over the internet, but you can watch videos whenever you need to, as they are always available. For more information on the conference, please visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the podcast, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. show Lorraine. Thank you. Good afternoon everybody. So anxiety is on the increase. There are growing numbers of children and young people who are exhibiting signs of anxiety from a very young age. Some of this is down to traumatic episodes or events, others because of academic pressures, bullying, social media influences or their home life. How can schools help? Okay so um, as you say the, the numbers are on the increase and there's a whole host of reasons why you know anxiety um, and trauma are um, causing our young people so much stress and difficulty. First of all, schools have got to understand that young people are living in a very different world to a world maybe that we all grew up in. The anxiety can be from a whole host of things. And, you know, as Dale said, it could be from, you know, just something that's happened in their life a traumatic incident that happened maybe a while back, which I'll come back to. But it, it could be just about day-to-day life for that particular young person. So for me, the big strategy, first of all, is that we need to know our pupils. We need to know what their personality is like. We need to know what their strengths are, what some of their issues might be. And we need to be aware when something changes in the behaviour of that young person. Now, that's not behaviour as in, you know, they suddenly become challenging. It could be that they suddenly become very withdrawn or they suddenly become argumentative or it's it's just knowing what changes there might be and being able to say, well, I wonder why that's happening. The other thing that I think is really, really important um, and, and from as young an age as possible is to teach our young people the language of emotions so that our young people have got the language that they can tell us what's wrong, so that they, they, they know that if they're feeling anxious, actually mild anxiety is good for us. We need it. You know, we, we all do things that we get a little bit anxious about, but actually that anxiety spurs us on. It's what gives us the adrenaline. It's giving our children the understanding that it's when it tips over from just being that mild, if you like, butterflies in the tummy type of anxiety to something that actually might be causing intense pain in their stomach or intense pain in their head. So not only teaching them the language of the emotion, but actually being able to recognise if there's a physical thing that happens at the same time as that anxiety. And then 
trying to then give them the language so they can tell you what it is they're feeling, both emotionally and physically. And then what is it that's making that happen? And again, we will have children in schools, especially in early years and and key stage one, who if they have lived in a home that is full of anxiety, they will come to school anxious because it's learned behaviour. It is all they know. In the same way that if you have children who come from a home that is depressed, you know, there's a lot of depression or there are mental health issues, that child will come to school with that as learned behaviour. So again, from an early years point of view and, and sort of young childhood point of view, it's being able to realise that actually that's learned behaviour, it's coming from home, so there's some mental ill health at home. And so we need to give those children the strategies to understand that, you know, we don't have to be anxious all the time and all the rest of it. And that that is really difficult for teachers because it's not something we've ever had to do before. Yeah, we, we, we all know when a child is, is not as well as they might be or something's happened at home. But actually, this is worse than that because anxiety can, as I said earlier, can actually spur us on. It can give us the adrenaline. But actually, if there's too much of it, it will stop us learning because it, that anxiety has taken over that young person's brain and, and their learning ability. And all they can actually think about is that the anxiety and what's actually causing that anxiety. The other thing that we have to do is to try and give some of our young people strategies to how to deal with that anxiety. So, for instance, as adults, yeah, we, we probably know that the things that will make us anxious, we can avoid them if that's what we want to do. So, you know, people who find flying difficult choose not to fly. It's simple as that. But actually, we also have other coping strategies that we can do, some of which are healthy. So we take the dog for a walk or we go for a run or we go to the gym. Some of us may do unhealthy, like have a glass of wine or a bar of chocolate. But actually, for many of our youngsters, they don't know what to do. They don't know what is healthy or unhealthy coping strategies. And that's when you will have youngsters who may end up self-harming or gaining an eating disorder or even for some, you know, contemplating taking their own life because they haven't got the strategies to actually support that anxiety in the first place. I think one of the important things, if, if someone has got an anxiety on something, it's really important not to just dismiss it. You don't want to sit there and go, oh, don't worry about that. It's like, no, that person is very worried about yeah. that. So you can't say, don't worry. No. As trivial it may be to you, yeah. to that person, it's a big concern. Absolutely. It is real to them. Whatever it is that's causing that anxiety is very real. And so, yes, the, the, the first thing you don't do is say, you know, come on, pull your socks up or come on, be a man about it or, you know, the things that we've heard in the past. Because for that person, that is the reality of their life at this moment in time. And it, and it is hard sometimes because as an adult, we may think, what have you got to be anxious about? You're a child, you've got nothing to worry about, et cetera, et cetera. And, and yet, actually, we have got children that are incredibly anxious. And, you know, I'm recording this as we have the coronavirus growing around us. And there are children now in schools who are really, really frightened, maybe because Parents are frightened and they've put that anxiety onto the child. But also, you know, we're constantly telling them to wash your hands, don't touch this, don't touch that. 24-7 news is telling us that this many people have died and all the rest of it. And why actually, is everyone panic buying? And- uh, yeah, they, you know, why are there no toilet rolls in the in the supermarket? So all of that, for some youngsters, that will become a real big issue. And it won't matter how much you try and convince them it will carry on being an issue until, you know, something happens 
that they can actually cope with it. So uh, as teachers, although we haven't been trained to support children with mental health, or not many of us anyway, as soon as we see that a youngster is feeling anxious about something, it's, uh, you know, have they got the language to tell us what's wrong? Have they got the strategies to actually support them in how to, you know, moderate some of that anxiety? If they if they can at that particular time, they may not be able to. It might be that, you know, something else has got to happen in their life for that to actually change. So something silly like when I was a, a child, a very, very long time ago, if I fell out with my friend, you know, on the playground at afternoon playtime, I'd go home and we wouldn't be speaking. But I knew that by the next morning, we'd be back in the playground holding hands and, and playing games again. Of course, today, that falling out can escalate overnight to 30,000 other people being involved through the, you know, the wonderful world of social media and parents get involved and, you know, then parents are on to school and then, and, and actually that anxiety for that youngster, which started about, oh, I fell out with my friend, suddenly become a major, major issue because so many people know about it to the point where they're frightened to come into school the next day because of what might happen, who will say something to them. They might be called a name. Somebody else may fall out with them. So all of that is is going on outside school, nothing to do with school, but actually that could come back in the next morning as a major, major issue. So we have to be ready that when we start to see that those signs of anxiety, and usually that manifests in a change in behaviour, which, as I said, could be very withdrawn. It could be insular or it could be going the other way where it becomes challenging and, you know, totally different behaviour. And then be able to sit down with that youngster and ask, you know, what's troubling you? Have you got pain? And, you know, try and give them the, the ability to tell us what it is. I think when, if you do have a situation for a child who has anxiety where a situation has kind of blown up and got big, it also then gives them anxiety about sharing their anxieties. Absolutely. And that's a big challenge. And of course, if they if they're in a home where there is lots of anxiety and depression and, and, and mental illness, it's possible that nobody shares <laughs> because that's why that it is like it is. And so they're or they're being told you mustn't talk about it. Because there is still, even though mental health is in the news most days, I still believe there is a big stigma around mental health as opposed to physical health. You know, we, we talk openly now about cancer or heart disease or you know, any, any of those sort of physical illnesses. I think we are still a bit reticent to talk about mental ill health and, and say, you know, I've had depression or I've I've got anxiety at the moment. And again, I think if, if that child's come from that sort of home where it, it's not talked about, then it is, again, they, it's that blocking it out, holding it in and not, you know, talking about it. But actually, they're not going to be ready to learn. They're not going to be able to be part of a teaching and learning process because their brain is in that anxiety mode. And for some of our youngsters, that has become quite toxic because it's gone on for too long. As a teacher or, you know, somebody working in school, we haven't quite recognised it. We didn't quite know what was going on here. Then actually, you know, it can become to the point where, you know, it, it is taking over that child's life. And it is something that we need to be very much more aware of. And a child that's got a special educational need is five times more likely to have a mental illness or a mental ill health, which will start probably with anxiety. So again, school pressures and the pressure of school and tests and exams is also not helping many of these youngsters. So we're almost in some cases 
perpetuating the problem by the way that we are actually working in in our schools today. Is there a, a gender bias in the amount of anxiety or is there a gender bias in how that comes out? Because I know men, we all have to be invulnerable, invincible, yeah. superman. There's definitely a gender bias that women, if you take statistics, women are more likely to have anxiety, depression, stress. But the biggest group of people who take their own lives between the age of 14 and 45 is men. Which actually says to me that they they were there, but they just didn't tell anybody about it until it was too late. I think as I got older and started seeing the 40 coming up, it did make me think, why are these people doing this? And I think often the men are st- in some houses are still the main breadwinner, yeah. especially when the, parent, the mum stays at home. Yeah. And especially in the last sort of 10, 15 years with recessions <clears throat> and stuff and job is when that person then loses the job is how does he tell someone else? And it is pride. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, I actually know people who have continued to get dressed and go to work every day. So the children didn't know that the the dad had lost their job and he would be, you know, he'd go out of the house before the children came back in the afternoon and then come back as though he'd come back from work just purely because as you say, that pride, that I don't want to let my family down was was so, so, so difficult for them. And the problem is that then reflects on the children. That's what the children see. Yeah. That's what you've got to do. Absolutely. And if you're a boy, then you often follow your dad. Stiff, <laughs> um, up, stiff up a lip, carry absolutely. on. Absolutely. And, you know, pull your socks up and, and man up and all the terminology that I hate, but you, we still hear it out there. And I think, you know, sometimes it is hard if you are a person that, you know, doesn't let life get you down and you can bounce back and you've got the resilience. Again, lots of our children today don't have that resilience. I I don't remember anybody teaching me to be resilient, but I think I am and I think I always have been. I just taught myself. But then, you know, I was of that generation that could go in the summer holidays, would go out at nine o'clock in the morning on my bike and not come back till six o'clock at night tea time and nobody worried about me because that was the world we lived in. And if you didn't turn up for your tea, then they might start worrying. But Actually, you know, nowadays our children aren't going out like that for all sorts of reasons, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but they're not building up those skills of, you know, they fell off their bike, you have to pick yourself up, brush yourself down and get on with it because there's nobody there to, you know, take over. And just going back to that, it's so basically kids aren't going out because we're probably more anxious than we used to be. And it's, I think I see a lot of things that, oh, there's a lot more dangers out there now. It's like, it's probably not. Yeah. You just hear about it. I was going to say, I I mean, I don't think that there are any more dangerous people or dangers. There's probably more cars on the road and that sort of thing. But you do hear about it more. And I think that because of the nature of the news, it might, I mean, I remember the Yorkshire Ripper and it, it was in Yorkshire. It was miles away from the Midlands where I lived. So that was it. You didn't worry about that. Whereas now, if it doesn't matter where it is in the country, you would worry about it because, you know, Things can move so fast. I also think the way the news presents, I think back in the day, it was quite factual. This yeah. has happened. We move on. Now it's about getting a reaction yeah. from people. Yeah. They want you to feel a bit anxious Absolutely. about it. Yeah. And yeah, moving on to the sort of trauma side of things, there will be children who've had some serious trauma 
in early life, especially children that have been in domestic violence situations or have had abuse of any kind, but also the trauma of things happening in in the world. So again, 24-7 news shows us war. It shows us fires. It shows us you know, atrocities. And we see them again and again and again and again. And so for some of our anxious children, seeing something, for instance, like Grenfell Tower going up in flames day after day after day on every single news bulletin, if you lived in a block of flats, I would imagine that would have been quite scary for a child. Yeah. And, And the same with coronavirus at the moment. You know, it's on the news all the time. And, you know, there will be some children that are getting really quite uptight about that and and quite traumatised by it. And again, as schools, we need to be aware that that's happening and try and find ways of, same time as keeping everybody safe, actually saying it's not that bad, although we don't know that it's not, but we have to be the, the adults about it and sort of try and support that youngster with their anxiety you know as as on a day-to-day basis i think as as a parent it's it's making sure they have that freedom you're not blocking them off you're not preventing because if i think as soon as you start closing them down and preventing them they think you shouldn't go and do things yeah so, so, I, so it's like not going out oh, i shouldn't go out you don't go out yeah it's it's it's, it's taught them you don't do that because. Yeah. And, and you know, health and safety's done a lot of that, hasn't it? You know, so, you know, nowadays, you know, you can't have a, a children's playground unless it's got the soft, you know, stuff underneath. And, you know, and back in the day, if you fell off something, yes, you'd hurt yourself, but you wouldn't do it again. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's cruel, I know. But lots of parents don't, and schools certainly don't, allow children to take risk maybe as much as we used to. And so they've become a bit risk averse. And as you then say, they don't, they choose not to do something. It's when you're in um, a school when it's snowing. Yeah. The discussions that go yeah. on. <laughs> I, I, well, absolutely. You know, what's wrong with kids going out and having, you know, a, a snowball fight or whatever, but actually, no, somebody might get hurt, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if you don't give them that opportunity, it's, it's that's, part of growing up as far as I'm concerned. But if you can't identify your own risks and then learn how to manage them yourself, it's going to lead you into danger later on. Absolutely, because we're not teaching our children to think about risk and then make their own decision about should I do this or should I not? And, you know, by the time these youngsters are then getting into sort of secondary school, they they are risk averse and they they don't want to take those risks, which actually is all part of growing up. And actually, as they go through adolescence and there are chemical changes in the brain, which actually are telling them to take risks, <laughs> that also then has a, a huge impact because their brain is telling them to do things, but their background is saying don't do it. And that can have all sorts of repercussions as well. But I think that, you know, we've we've always had anxiety. We've we've always had children that get a bit anxious before just before something's happening. Yeah, they, they've got to have an injection at the doctors or whatever. But I think we've all, we've built a bit of a culture also around the way that schools are run. You know, you, you think about the phonics check at the end of year one, child is six years of age. We're, we're constantly telling them, you know, you've got to do this check and you do this. And then they do it and it's all over. And then they pass or they fail. So the language that we use is pass or fail. So we tell that child, well, you failed this year, you'll have to do it next year. We tell parents their child has failed. Now, I know in schools we try and find alternative language, but actually that's 
that's what the language, that's what it says we should do. And, you know, we don't give them then the support to bounce back and think, actually, well, I'll learn from this. They go into that sort of downward spiral of, well, I failed, so I can't do it and I can't do it and I can't do it. And then, you know, a lot of our children then end up having special needs because, you know, the anxiety that kicked in in the first place means that they felt they couldn't do something. That's interesting. I do know, like, when you think of the SATs, especially year six SATs, and you get the parents to come in and they start being told, some schools, the importance, and they lay the pressure on. The parents think it's really important. In the scheme of things, it's completely trivial. But to the local authority for that school and to Mr. Ofsted, it's, a big, yeah, it's an important number. And to the teacher, because there's a league table. And But you're right. I mean, yeah, these, these are children, they're 11. So they are starting to go through adolescence and through puberty. That, so that's giving them a whole other bag of anxieties. They're starting to think about relationships. And, and social media is telling them they must look like this or they must say this or they must do this. And then they're, they're put under this pressure of, of these tests, which are going to be the be-all and end-all and that their future will be ruined if they don't do well. And someone, uh, some of the parents fall for it, so they start yeah, putting the pressure on absolutely. as well. And then parents will pay for tutors who will, you know, do some boosting work. And, and it's just, it's huge. And then, you know, some of these youngsters just go into meltdown. Yeah. And, and then, of course... They've then got to go through transition to secondary school at a point when their anxiety levels are probably pretty low. And actually, the transition to a secondary school, that they need to have as much resilience and, you know, capability as they possibly can. So it's not helpful at all. No. So um, going back to anxiety, obviously, yeah. there are those who have anxiety, you know, but when you think someone has anxiety and it's never been discussed before... Yeah. How do you broach that subject? Okay, well, I suppose it depends on the age of the, the pupil and what sort of language that they might know. So a, a very youngster, you might want to say something like, you know, I noticed that you're not, you know, yourself at the moment and I noticed that you've, you know, you're very quiet or you know, whatever you've noticed and just try and get that young person talking. It may be that you need to think about are you the best person to have that conversation? So if you're the class teacher, it might be that you're not the best person to have that conversation. There might be a, a teacher from a previous year group or even somebody from reception that that child really got on with at that point or a teaching assistant, but somebody who you know that youngster will feel confident about. So not a senior leader. And probably not a senior leader, you know, but that's not not all senior leaders, but, you know, probably that's not. That's more the authority yes. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they're not in trouble. I mean, that's the other thing. It's about making sure that they realise they're not in trouble. Yeah. And we just want to help you. So can you tell us? Maybe using, like, emotion, you can get emotion fans or an emotion game. So you can talk about, you know, are you feeling happy? Are you feeling sad? And you can show the, the faces and what that looks like. I mean, nowadays with emojis, you can get emojis of everything. Yeah. And obviously children use those all the time when they're, you know, in games or on their phones or whatever. So, you know, you can relate them to emojis. And then it, it, to me, it is just about trying to get that young person to, to just tell you why they're feeling like they're feeling. What I am hoping is with the introduction of the relationships education, relationships and sex education, health education curriculum framework that's coming in from this September, we will start teaching that language and, and understanding the right words from a very early age so we can actually talk about anxiety 
We don't have to talk about you're looking a bit sad or, you know, we can actually use the right words and that child will, will know what we mean by it. There are lots and lots of resources that you can use that are, you know, on the market, which gets rid of the anxiety gremlin or, yes. you know, there's worry monsters where they can put their anxieties inside a, a, a worry eater. And so there's lots of things you can do. But in school, you don't need to spend lots of money. You can have, you know, a box where a young person can just put a picture that might sort of describe what's going on. I think for very young children, getting them to draw a picture of how they're feeling or what they're thinking about is a really good idea. Again, if there's something going on at home, so maybe one of the parents has, has left or there's a lot of arguments or whatever, you know, they draw a picture without daddy in it or without mommy in it or daddy apart or, you know, and then you can ask them about the picture. And then obviously old, older young people, maybe just it is about getting them to talk and, you know, just trying to find out and talking to the parents as well. So if you are really concerned and the young person themselves isn't very forthcoming, then actually get the parents or parent parents to come in and see if there's been any change in personality at home or any change in routines. Or, you know, has there been a bereavement or has there been something that's, that's that's changed within the family situation? So trying to get to the bottom of what the cause is. And then sometimes you can't remove that cause because it's it's beyond, it's, it's a home thing. But at least if you know, you can then share, you know, with that youngster. One of the other things to be very mindful of around anxiety is around specific, should we say, events or days in school. So we've got Mother's Day coming up. And again, you know, it's all over the shops. Everybody can see, maybe people are talking about it. And it might be that a, a youngster is in care. So they've got a foster mum, but their yeah, birth mum is not around anymore. So anxiety might start because of trauma, maybe from two, three, four years ago, when that child was with mum or was taken away from mum or whatever happened. And so, you know, people are talking about Mother's Day, but actually for that youngster, it's not a day they want to remember. So just being very, very mindful of the, the needs and, and the backgrounds of, of our youngsters. And sometimes a child could have one thing which makes them anxious, but generally the rest of the time there's no real anxiety. Absolutely. And and it could be very short term. It, it, you know, not everything is long term. You know, it could just be that, you know, they saw something on the television at the weekend and it upset them. <laughs> Yep. Um, or, you know, they came into school on the Monday and, you know, daddy had to go off to work on the Sunday and he hasn't seen him that morning. I mean, it could be all sorts of little things. You know, we, it could be separation anxiety with very young children. You know, often we get um, children in nursery and reception who cry and, you know, cling onto mum's leg and all the rest of it. And again, you know, once mum's gone or dad's gone, the child's okay. And actually some of that might be anxiety with the parent who is instilling that into the child. So, you know, just get them to ring mummy. Mummy will come. She's waiting for you. You know, and again, it's about breaking down some of that anxiety and saying, you know, she'll still be there when you get home, etc. And just just finding out what it is and then being able to support as and when you need to. As you say, it might be a one-off, but it might actually be a longer-term thing. So things like often, um, so my daughter's called, they have a big year six residential. Yeah. But they do a year five one as a, as a few days. Taster. But that's the time that some of the children, that's the first time they're spent away yeah. from the parents. So that's going to cause anxiety. Yeah. That's, that's quite easy for you to plan for because you know it's going to happen in year Absolutely. five. It's quite a known thing. And there is yeah. that the stuff you'll know 
Uh, and then there'll be times where a child's being anxious. It's a home event, even moving home or from uh, my daughter, her best friend was moving to a different school. Yeah. So that is quite easy. Absolutely. But it's when you've got a child who's showing signs of anxiety mm. over a number of different things. Yes. Yeah. That's when you might start having to think of a longer term Absolutely. Strategy. And, and you may have a child that's got, has had a number of adverse childhood experiences, so ACEs, which, you know, over time could be about abuse, it could be about domestic violence, it could just be about they've moved home five times. You know, there's a whole list of things that could happen, and three or four of those over a period of time can really, you know, cause trauma and and then result in, in stress. You, you would probably know about those more so because they would probably be your looked after children or children that have, you know, been moved around lots of different schools, uh, but not necessarily could have still happened and they're still with you. So again, it's about, you know, thinking through those, those things and thinking, so which one of those can we really deal with, you know, and, and which one can we tackle first? One of the things that we're finding more and, and, you know, at primary as well as secondary school are children who are actually carers, young carers. So they've got a parent or a grandparent or a sibling at home who they are actually the first carer for. You know, they are coming into school, having got that person up, probably washed them, breakfast them, got their tablets out ready for the day. You know, at the moment with the, the virus going around, they'll be worrying about, you know, will they get that? They're coming into school and, you know, they're not ready to learn because they'll be thinking, will the carers go in at lunchtime and feed them? Will they take their tablets? Will they still be alive when I get home tonight? And lots of children won't tell you that they're, they're a young carer. So again, when you start to see the signs of that young person who maybe is a bit late coming in every morning, because they've had to do all of that or he's always the last one through the door or looks a bit dishevelled or hasn't had time for breakfast. It's all those little things that we're looking out for that then we can have the conversations to try and find out, you know, what it is that's happening. And it's um, that anxiety is if I do tell someone what might happen. Yeah, absolutely. Because if, if they're worried about being taken away from that parent, so we'll be taking it as... And especially if the parent or, or whoever it is is said, don't tell anybody because they'll take take me away or they'll take you away or whatever. That's their anxiety. Absolutely. Isn't? So the anxiety is, is being spread again. So that youngster stays quiet. And then, you know, they walk into a classroom, I don't know, even if it's only two minutes late and, you know, they're greeted with, you're late again, where have you been? <laughs> That's the last thing they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, what they actually want is a piece of toast, a cup of tea, and 10 minutes to just get their head into learning. But you can't do that if you don't know what the issue is. So, no. you know, it is, it's about just knowing your pupils and knowing when there is a change, you know, in their mental, mental state, really. So um, you mentioned earlier about a certain level of anxiety everyone has. Yeah. So if, if you are a carer, there is always going to be that certain level of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose when anxiety becomes a problem, is it when it start, you start getting more anxious about the smaller and smaller things? That you're yeah. struggling with that and it's making you not cope with other things? Absolutely. Or... So you will, the, the, you'll have seen some change in behaviour, but then you'll start to see either more withdrawn, more not keeping up with their work, homework not being done, lots lots of signs like that. Or the other way where in order to divert the attention from I'm not doing this, I'll, I'll misbehave <laughs> because actually if I misbehave, I'll get sent out. I might even get sent home. Therefore, I can be at home with, do you know what I mean? So yeah. 
it, it can it can go either way. But if that is not their normal behaviour, it is telling you something. Yeah. And and as teachers and and people working with children, we have got to get much much better at analysing the behaviour, because for too long. I think we have seen behaviour as being naughty and actually 99% of behaviour is a communication. It's trying to tell you something yeah. without having to actually say the words. And, and, you know, as teachers, we've got to get much better at that. And I understand that it could be disruptive of a lesson. It could disrupt other children. I do understand all of that. But for that young person at that moment, they're screaming inside and they're trying to you know they can't tell you what it is but they are it is attention seeking but in the in a in a, a way that is going to help their anxiety and there isn't there isn't a stereotype because you could have the really high achieving perfectionist who's anxious oh. not getting it right that first failing for that first time and you've got the quiet child yeah. who just doesn't want to enter. and you've got so there is no it no. could be anyone it's just uh, that change absolutely it's just something that happens so you know, we will get a significant number of young people who get anxious when they transition to a new school. Now, you know, again, we all got anxious when we changed to our the big school because it was a big school and it, would you get lost? And, you know, in back in my day, it was would somebody flush your head down the toilet and, you know, all those sorts of things. I'm not sure that happens now, but, you know, they're the stories that you hear. But, you know, if you've got older brothers and sisters, it's maybe easier than if you haven't at that school. But then, you know, you, you're going towards GCSEs. You're being told that you're going to get, you know, top marks in everything. But actually that's, that causes you tremendous stress because that puts a lot more pressure on you. Your parents are being told you're going to get top marks and all of those pinch points during that time is really difficult. First child, they're they're paving the way. Yeah. The second child is expected to be exactly the same. Yeah. And that's a big one as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you know, my sister, three years between my sister and I, I'm the eldest, but we ended up going to two totally different secondary schools because they, they changed the boundary. So she had to go to secondary school without me. So she went on her own, you know. And a lot of her friends didn't go to the secondary school she did. And, you know, that that made a difference to how she then approached secondary school, to to how I'd gone there, because I went with all my friends. I think there was one, one girl that did the 11 plus. Everybody else went to the same school I went to. So it wasn't any different. And, you know, but if it's, a, it's something very new and you haven't got your friends and you haven't got your network around you, it is it is incredibly hard. Huge point in, in a child's life, I think. So I, I followed my sisters through secondary school and I was referred to as, oh, you're Tammy's <laughs> brother. You're Tammy's brother. You're Cheryl's brother. Oh, you're yeah. going to be really good at this. And it drove, I just hated yeah, it. Yeah, I hated absolutely. it. Absolutely. So although sometimes it might be good to have siblings, sometimes it isn't. I often feel very sorry for twins because, again, there is a bit of an expectation that the twins will be the same and often they're very, very different. And again, so, you know, as teachers, we must never, ever make judgments. You know, we must wait and meet the children and, and learn for ourselves about what they're, they're like. They may have totally different barriers to learning or totally different interests or, you know, things that they're good at. So we, we have to just take each one as they come. So I chose, there was a college right near us, five-minute bus ride. I went for the college an hour away. Yeah, I did. I was fed up of following in my <laughs> yeah. sister's footsteps. I was going to do the same subject as her as well, so that was going to be yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. Oh, Tammy could do this. Yeah, Tammy's yeah, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I know you're probably listening, Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but actually, it could be something as silly as that. But it is. It you made know, me change, and yeah. that was my anxiety that I wasn't going to be as good as her. Yeah, yeah. 
we're different. Yeah. I've now learned to accept. Absolutely. She has but, her strengths. I have my strengths. That age, my other sister. But we're all yeah. different. But that moment, it's the anxiety, yeah, yeah. the pressures. Yeah. Probably no one's put on you. No. It's, you've put them on, on yourself. yourself. Yeah. Or somebody's made a throwaway comment about, you know, oh, Tammy, Tammy was really good at that, which doesn't mean you're not, but they're making, to you, they're making a comparison. And and so again, as teachers, we have to be very careful about what we say and how we say it because it can have a huge impact on you know some some of our youngsters. The other thing that we'll just say around anxiety is that many many children that are on the autistic spectrum also have a whole range of anxieties that may not be related to their autism. They still have anxieties, and so again, you know, we we shouldn't mix the two up. We shouldn't sort of think, oh well, it's their autism. It is a genuine mental health issue and we need to deal with it you know so again not think about the label that they've got that they might have for something else it's a totally different thing and and the two may not they may but they may not sit together so my um my nephew's got autism and anxiety two very different things and they do the whole social stories thing what do you do and he'll go through and answer everything spot on perfect he knows exactly what to do yeah he'll never ever do it because of his anxiety yeah (laughs) And he will he, one day, maybe. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. But the moment he won't. And it's, it's, he's also has anxiety. He doesn't want to be seen to be different. He doesn't yeah. want to draw attention, yeah. which means it's often hard to then deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think there's, you know, and I hope th- again through the new uh, curriculum relationships and whatever curriculum, you know, I, I really hope that schools can start to celebrate difference to celebrate that we are all different and we do need different things. So, you know, that, you know, we, there's, people talk about, you know, this, this obsession we have for uniform and you have to have the right shoes, you have to have the right trousers, et cetera. But, you know, for some youngsters, you know, lace-up shoes may not be comfortable. They need Velcro shoes. And we have to accept that that's what they need at that moment in time. They're not being disobedient. They're not being, you know, wanting to be different. It is just what... It's what they need at that moment in time. And that's society. You know, we all have our own little quirks. And I think that we have, you know, we have to make sure that there's within the system, there is an allowance for those adjustments and adaptations that we need to make for difference. So there's lots of different things schools can do. We talked about addressing sort of individual things. Yeah. But my daughter, when she transitioned into secondary, she had anxiety throughout year seven about lots of different things. Yeah. And they gave her a red card. Mm. So they really good. They supported her. They talked to her and she just got anxious. She might be anxious in one lesson because of the next lesson. lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And so she, they gave her a red card. And it, but the fact that that was accepted, the fact she could deal with it. The and, fact, and did that allow her to leave that particular yeah. lesson and go somewhere? And it didn't draw attention. Yeah. What was nice is I think everyone just accepted it. So there was yeah. no, back in my day, it was, yeah, red card. Yeah. Doesn't seem to happen these days, which I think is amazing yeah, for kids. Absolutely. Um, but it meant that throughout the course of the year, I think she just went, okay, so this is going all right. And it just helped her. I don't know how she processed it over the year, yeah. but I remember over the summer holidays, she just told me my anxiety has gone on a holiday. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So she was able to think about yeah. it all. But it did, okay. We just did lots of talking about yeah. how was your day. And mm-hmm. I didn't do the whole mindfulness, but I did. Somebody told me something good about your day. Yeah. Just a few things like that. I just, yeah. You might have to just see something in a slightly different way. Right. Yeah. 
But I think if you've got things like a way that that youngster can leave if they need to, there's the whole fight, flight, freeze scenario around anxiety. So most people who are having anxiety will either run, they will freeze, fight, flight. What did was the one or, fight. Uh, or fight, yeah. So they'll, you know, thump out or whatever. So again, it's knowing which of those three strategies a youngster will use and giving them alternatives. So for instance, if you know it is somebody who will fight and you know will thump out, then you know, is there somewhere in the classroom where there is a cushion that they can just go and sit on a chair and thump a cushion? So it's not hurting anybody, but it's getting that that anger out of them. If you know that they're a flyer, they're a runner, then where do they run to? Where's the safe space in the school where they know they can go? They take their red card, they take their timeout card, wherever it might be. Lots of schools have different systems, but they know that they can go. They know they will be safe and they won't end up running out of school or up onto the roof or, you know, the things that used to happen. And if if that youngster is a freeze type person and they go under the table or they just go up a corner, then is there somewhere safe where they can just go and freeze? Lots of primary schools now have little tents or teepees in in a corner. And so that youngster can just go in to the tent and just have a few minutes on their own. It, It could be that they just need a bit of tactile, so a stress ball or some a stone that they can stroke. It might be that they just need a bit of exercise. So they just need to get up and maybe, you know, walk around the classroom if that's possible or go and walk down the corridor and back again. But again, it's about teachers knowing that that's what that youngster needs to do, allowing them to do it so you're not shouting at them where you're going. <laughs> but also being aware that they can't be out forever yeah. and there's a time limit on you know, how long they've got. And again, most youngsters will be back after two minutes, three minutes, whatever it is, where they've just had enough time to, you know, calm down. And we know as adults, you know, if if something really annoys us and we get sort of anxious and angry, you know, we will find ways of dealing with that. We've learned those strategies. We've got to teach those or or give the facility to young people to be able to do that. And there are people who go, I need to go for a run. Absolutely. Or I need to go out yeah. for a drink. Yeah. It's not the healthiest. No. But, but there are things you know that oh, I need yeah. something. Or I just need a break. I need a break from work. Let's That's go away what, yeah. from it. Or I just need to go and watch episode three of a box set or yeah, you need you to know. lose yourself. You need to take yeah. yourself from that situation. Yeah. And that's what you're teaching. That's what you're teaching yeah. to the kids. And if you don't allow that to happen, you're just building on that anxiety and it will just escalate into something that we then can't manage because it will it will become either so insular that that young person will you know either self harm or maybe even contemplate taking their own life or it will become so challenging behavior wise that that young person will end up being excluded purely on their you know health and safety and and you know, safety of others grounds but if it had been dealt with in the initial stages it wouldn't have got to that And so, you know, again, there's lots of talk around schools that have zero tolerance behaviour policies, which is sort of one strike and you're out, so one false move. Well, actually, we have to accept that for some youngsters, there is some challenge. And, you know, we have to put the strategies in place to help them. And then if, if it still continues, then obviously that's a different matter. But, you know, we've got to give them an opportunity to regulate and accept that 
this is how I am, this is how I feel, but actually I know what to do about it. I think when it comes to anxiety, we're talking about what you can do when someone feels anxious, but it's also about if we talked about social media and all that sort of stuff, it's yeah. helping children use that appropriately. So yeah. I know secondary schools, they do a lot of assemblies on mm. the internet, uh, safety, yeah. the bullying, the online, a lot of them ban WhatsApp groups. But I think, um, I think primary schools, some of them will, because a lot of kids do use WhatsApp at a young age. Yeah. As a family, we have a family group. And wherever my children are, you can message them if they're at a friend's house on the way yeah. home from school. It's a group thing. So when it's raining, I'll come and pick you yeah. up. So it's a real sensible need. Yeah. We're not using it the right way. But then there are other children using it badly. And some of the school's responses are, they shouldn't be using this. They should yeah. be. It's like, okay, on one hand, yes, you're right. Yeah. But they still need help. Yeah. And, and you know, again, schools will say, well, that's parents' responsibility. That's happening at home. But actually, we have to educate the parents as well. Yeah. So I, I think primary school have got, as much need to educate parents as they do children. Yeah. And I think that it, it is about teaching them the good bits of social media or gaming or whatever, but also to explain the risks. And one of the things that I, I worry about a lot, doing a lot of work around mental health, is, you know, I hear about lots of very young children who, who have talked about taking their own life. One little four-year-old boy who actually took a rope into school and told the teacher what he was going to do with it. and. One of the things that worries me about that is because when these youngsters are gaming and, and playing games, you can die, but you have an extra life. Or as long as you've got a sword, you can come alive again. And, and, and again, it's about who is actually teaching them about reality. Yeah. You know, this is the real world we live in. That's a gaming world. And if you're spending so much time in that gaming world, that is your real world. And so that worries me now. The new health education curriculum has got a lot in it about online safety and teaching about online safety and the appropriate use of social media. So again, it's going to be a big thing for schools. They're going to have to do it because it's a statutory part of the curriculum. But, uh, you know, are our teachers trained to be able to do that? Yeah. You know, have our teachers got enough technology knowledge around these things to actually teach children about it? And when they're avoiding social media because they're told more or less not to because teachers aren't allowed on. And also the other thing that, you know, I, I still don't think our, our youngsters get is it's a permanent message or reminder. So anything that you type today, somebody will find in 20 years time. Yeah. And that I don't think people understand at all. So I guess parents haven't learned that either. No, and, so and they, I think. You know, there are employers now who are looking at a young person's social media history. I know head teachers that will look at a young, you know, a, a new NQT's social media history because, you know, they may have written something that may have been racist or homophobic five years ago. That might not be that person now, but it was. Do you know what I mean? So we've got to be really careful. There's a lot of uh, celebrities over the last few years who've been hauled over the coals Absolutely. for stuff they said yeah. 10 years ago. The president of, I think he dealt with it really well. So he, there were photos of the president of Canada where yeah. he'd blacked up with yeah. his face yeah. paint and done yeah. all that. And there was shock and outrage. Yeah. And they, they said, like, can you promise us there's no more photos yeah. like this? And he went, I can't. No. I don't even remember that photo yeah. being taken. I don't know how many others there yeah. are. I don't remember. And he said, what well, I was brought up in in a ball yeah. of 
you just do this and there's no implications. Yeah, absolutely. And he's re- so he's realised, so he's learned a lot from that. I think he dealt with that really yeah. well. Rather than just dismissing it or ignoring yeah. it or just a blanket yeah. apology, he talked about how he really didn't yeah. think. He had no idea. Yeah. Uh, it was the world he would, but it, it needs to change. Yeah, but our young people need to understand that it isn't just that five minutes that they're posting it. It's It could be 50 years on now because we have the technology that can track all yeah. of this stuff, you know, so. So I know, I think one thing I think parents need to do is they need to, especially for the younger children, is have at bedtime the phones downstairs on forced off time. Yeah, I still, for young children, I still think there's nothing better than a book at bedtime, not a pad, not a film, not but a book at bedtime, because I actually think that that can support anxiety because I think that, that that bonding time between a parent and a child with a book a nursery rhyme, whatever it might be, can actually be a huge impact and, you know, better sleep. And a number of times having a, reading a book to my daughter, you put the book down and then you've got to give her a kiss goodnight. You go to say goodnight. She's like, dad. And then she opens up because yeah. she's calm. Yeah, We've had the right. conversation. Yeah. And I know sometimes we're not there for an hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it's, she's had a conversation she and she needed. Yeah. And yeah, it is that bonding. It is. I find with my children, it's about allow yourself to be vulnerable. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Don't tell them not to worry. Yeah. Tell them that you worry about yeah. things. Yeah. But that's right. We yeah. all worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as I say, worry, stress, anxiety is all part of our mental health. It's yes. when it, it tops over and becomes mental ill health that is when we have to yeah. worry about it. Cool. So we've talked about how it appears, things we can do. We've talked about how schools can help. So there is, there's lots of things you can do around your school to promote mental health for everyone. And you've got the mental health first that, aiders. Yeah. So that's a good thing. There's lots of little things you can do. It's being aware for just the changes. Yeah. And, you know, looking out for that fight, flight, freeze. So which is it? And if that youngster, you know, sort of runs, then they're running from something that's in their head. And actually for some youngsters, it might not, it, it's just a, a memory. It might not even be something that was in the classroom. You don't know what the trigger was, but whatever. There is an awful lot of free resources out in the world through the charitable organisations, so Young Minds and Mind and the Anna Freud Centre, which we can add to this at the end of the, the podcast. Notes, yeah. yeah, the show notes at the end of the podcast. And as you say, mental health first aid, you can become a mental health champion or a mental health first aider. And every school now should have a mental health lead. So there should be somebody in the school who has taken responsibility for mental health. I'm finding across the country it's often the Senko because obviously mental health fits into the SEN agenda. I would say the job's probably too big, but, you know, I would, that's... I would have thought that should have gone to the PSHE coordinator, but I'm thinking, well, well that's quite big as well, because yeah, you've yeah. got the new RSC and Absolutely. RE. Or, you know, it could be the person that's the designated safeguarding lead, because there's so much overlap. connect overlap between safeguarding and some of these issues around mental health. But, you know, if you have got one person or a small group of people, so lots some schools have a mental health team, and so they can work together. I would just say in all of this, that we must never forget the mental health of our staff, because if you've got anxious and staff that have have got have had trauma or you know have had have got, having a bad time they're not going to be in a good place to be teaching children about being in a good place so we also need to be very aware of the mental health and well-being of our staff and and what do we put in place to support them now also when you come when it comes to 
as a head teacher, how you might feel about an impending Ofsted inspection. You Absolutely. have to protect your staff. Absolutely. And yet you're like, you know, a crisis point and you're putting more pressure on the staff, even though you don't want to, because this thing's got to be done. But actually you're trying to protect them at the same time. And it is. It's making sure it's, like, it's just sometimes it's how you say something. Absolutely. Yeah. Rather than rushing in, preparing yeah. it. And there's lots of things you can do. You can bribe them with pizza. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Bacon butties on a Friday but, morning. And... <laughs> but it is. It's You could do one thing in two different ways yeah. and it makes a very big difference. Big difference. So, and again, it's about knowing your staff. And know, I mean, lots of staff now, they you know they have a buddy, but you don't know who your buddy is. So you can you just get a message on your desk going, you know, I hope you have a good day today or a, a little bar of chocolate or, you know, you don't know who's put it there, but somebody's put it there. Somebody's just wanting you to have a good day, you know. That's so nice. a bit like Secret Santa, only not quite as big, you know. Weekly Secret Santa. <laughs> yeah. But then I've had other things where <laughs> I had one school that on one of their training days, they had a well-being training day. And one of the activities was all the staff had to do a yoga session. And there was one member of staff, a male member of staff, who was so anxious he didn't even go in because he could not face doing yoga. And so you do have to think about what will work for some staff, won't work for others. So I yeah. generally will give everything a go, but stuff like yoga, yeah. generally I sit there yeah. and worry because I won't be able to stretch in a certain way and everyone else yeah. will do it. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be like, oh, And then the anxiety is actually far higher than it would yeah. be if you then you've got to walk it. out rather yeah. than not enter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's again with staff, it's the same. Know your staff know what works for them. If you're a senior leader, it might not be you that needs to talk you know, to, to that person. They may have a, a, somebody within the staff who can do that for them. But yeah. this isn't just about children, it's about staff as well. I suppose probably one thing to end on is not being afraid of the word anxiety. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the teaching of that we all are anxious. We, we, you know, anxiety is good. It makes us, you know get through things probably but it's when it tips over and if we don't know what to do about it so there's a really good example it's about a stress bucket but you could call it anxiety bucket where you know as an adult and all our buckets are different because we can all take more or less anxiety or stress but the more your bucket fills up the more as adults we can turn a tap on to release that stress or anxiety like as you say go for a run or take the dog for a walk or have a pint or whatever it might be but if you don't turn the tap on, the stress bucket just fills and then overflows and that's when things go wrong. So for, for children, what turns their taps on? So what is it that you could do that actually would help you at those moments? And as I say, it might just be I'm going to go in the tent for two minutes or I'm going to squeeze the ball for two minutes or I just need to stand up and sit down or yeah, whatever it is, give them the strategies that actually will help them. I saw an analogy recently on social media, one of those great posts, and it was um, talking about mental health and coping. And it was, you don't know how big anyone else's plate is or how big, what what they're made of. So you might have a really good china plate. You could put lots of food on it. The person following you might have the exact same plate, but it might be paper. Yeah. And they're holding the edge of it. They put the first thing on, it collapses. Yeah. Yeah. they do it a different way. There's lots of different things, yeah, but that's absolutely. quite a good one. But there's, you know, there are more and more things that you can now use by that aren't particularly expensive that schools can, you know, sort of get for children to to just use just to help them 
sort of regulate and keep those anxiety levels down. I mean, I know we, we've got out of you know children colouring, <laughs> we've moved on, from, but actually, colouring is a really good mindfulness activity. That's why they, they do the doodle books for adults. Yeah, do, that's adults. right. Yeah, and so yeah, it could just be something as as simple as that. You know, that when a, a youngster just starts to feel, they can you know spend two minutes, three minutes just colouring, and then they get back on with their work. And just when you do ask for an adult colouring book, make sure you get the right yeah, type. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 So when my my daughter anxiety i went and talked to colin at sem books yeah, yeah, i said yeah. my daughter's got anxiety she's this old and he I, I can't remember what the book was but he had a book and i flipped it, and it was great and i gave it to my daughter and she read through it just it's just talking about we all have anxieties yeah. and things like that and how it affects us but i found that she was scared of the word anxiety yeah she she didn't want to hear it yeah so i as we went on i made her say it yeah like literally, I almost bullied her for a yeah, while just yeah. to say it, but because she was scared of it, she was scared of having anxiety. Yeah. She couldn't say it. Once she kind of accepted, I've got anxiety, yeah. and saying it, it's like right, nothing's bad's yeah. happened. And also, I think it's about understanding that you know, if it, at its worst, it's an illness. It's exactly the same as having a cold or a broken leg or you know, a heart disease or diabetes, it's an illness that can be treated. We can recover from it, you know. You and might it, have and to make a change. Absolutely. But it is recoverable. And, yeah, between the person who's suffering and other people around them who will help, they will get better. Yeah. And, you know, they may never lose it, but they will have the strategies to be able to cope with it. And hopefully by them coming out of it and talking to lots of people, when they do start suffering with anxiety yeah. again, they're more open. Absolutely. And they know there's more people that know about it and understand it. So any last words? Well, just, again, it's about knowing the children and knowing when there's a behaviour change. And we've become really, really good over the years at safeguarding and knowing when something's not quite right with a youngster. I think mental health is very much like that. Yeah. It's about looking for the signs that, Maybe something is not right, especially at home. And then looking, you know, to see what are the triggers for that anxiety and then what can we put into support. Thank you for coming on the show today, Lorraine. That's fine. Thank you for having me. So we're putting the links to everything we've mentioned yeah. in our show notes and there's a few bits. We'll make sure that will all go in there. So, and also we'll be sharing Lorraine's contact details. So you'll be able to find the show notes on our website, which is www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can go to our website to subscribe, which is www.thesendcast.com. You'll see on there buttons to all the different places we are available, Spotify, iTunes, Podcasts, Switcher. Uh, overcast and so on you can sign up for our newsletter on our website to keep up to date with the latest news you can follow us on twitter at the sendcast on facebook the sendcast on instagram the sendcast or on linkedin just search for sendcast if you want to get in touch let us know what you think suggest topics any feedback or anything else at all please send an email to hello at the sendcast.com if you have enjoyed the sendcast why not look into the virtual send conference this is a conference we at b squared run and although we do lots of things with b squared what this does is all aspects of SEN. what we've looked at is there's a huge need same with the sendcast of getting good cpd out to as many people as possible physical conferences isn't a cost-effective solution generally you get one person trained in a school and with stuff like anxiety autism Every teacher needs this training. So the virtual send conference is great because you can buy a ticket for the whole school and that ticket generally costs around £60 per conference. You can join us on the day. So we run one in March and one in November. But 
the videos are always available. So if you buy access to a conference, you can buy it on the day before or after, you will always have access to those videos. So it's a resource you can use with all the staff, current and future, to make sure that actually all your staff are getting high quality CPD on specific subjects and they're getting the same CPD. So it's that consistent approach across the school. You can buy tickets for future or past events. Videos are always available. They're £60 per school, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code SENDCAST10 with no space. So thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And thank you for listening. Bye.